So I think what helps, I think, build resiliency in anybody that I see has got a difficult situation, a hardship, a challenging time that's happening to them is without doubt is giving them more knowledge, information and support. So I think, you know, those three key factors are without doubt the things that we want to be trying to do to help improve somebody become resilient to a situation. Helping patients become more robust, more resilient and less reliant has really been a topic of conversation recently. Well, today we had Adam Meekins on the sports physio and he gave us some really practical insights into the difference between robustness and resilience and also some strategies that he uses in the consult. It's a really nice chat with Adam. I hope you enjoy this one. My name is Michael Risk and this is Physio Explained. Welcome, Adam. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for inviting me on, Michael. Long time, no see. Yeah, I know. It's good to see your face. We're just comparing COVID notes between the UK and Australia. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, you've got it a little bit harder than us over uh, than in the UK at the moment, which yeah. is uh, not good to hear. Live from Victoria. Shout out to all the Victorians. We're going to touch on resilience, reliance, rebooking. We might get to manual therapy. Talk to me about resilience and reliance. So what do you think we're doing at the moment, Adam, that's causing reliance? And then we'll touch on resilience secondly. Well, actually, I want to do it the other way around. I want to talk about resilience first. So I, I, I think actually that we need to talk about resilience because that then has a direct effect on reliance of what we do. So I think the first thing we need to discuss is that there's probably a little bit of confusion out there between the difference of being resilient and being robust. Mm. So I see a lot of confusion around that and misunderstanding around that. So being robust means being able to tolerate stresses, difficulties and hardships, but you're remaining unchanged by them. And that basically means you're able to soak it up, you know, but you're not being changed by the situation that you're in. Whereas resilience is different. Being resilience is the ability of an individual who is affected by something that's adverse or difficult, but who is able to adapt positively and quickly to it. So being resilient isn't just about how much hardship and adversity you can take, but I think it's more about how quickly you can adapt and recover from it. And I do think being more resilient can lead to you becoming more robust to the things that are hard and difficult, but just being robust to things doesn't always lead to you becoming more resilient to them. So I think sometimes we just got to consider that there's probably some differentiations between robustness and resilience. And what we're trying to do is say is, is do both. But I think we've got to focus on encouraging resilience into those that we see who are coming in with things that are adverse and difficult, which is pain and disability because of their situation. I've never heard of that distinction. So that's that's awesome. And so robust is you're not being thrown off your center or your equilibrium. Resilience is you can be thrown off your center, but the ability to bounce back. Absolutely. Bounce back ability is another term I sometimes hear with resilience. It's a, it's a bit of a, a math term, in my opinion, but it's one that's used around. But yeah, being robust is just that ability to soak something up. You're remaining unchanged. You're being stoical. Whereas being resilient is being flexible, it's being adaptable, and it is being able to, say, absorb it, but move with it and adapt around a situation. So they are interrelated, but they are different things, and they're different strategies of dealing with difficult situations. And it makes me think of mental health as well as physiology. So 
yeah, I'm thinking mentally with COVID and like some people knocked off their center, some people completely thrown off and the ability to come back. When you speak to that, were you meaning in a physiotherapy consult or a bit of both and tied, tied into each other? Yeah, I don't think we can separate the two, you know, being in a difficult situation, be that physical, be that pain, be that psychological. I think it, it applies to both. Yeah. So in an injury setting, someone could handle a lot more and not break. And another person might have a small soft tissue strain and be thrown right off center. What are some strategies you use to build resilience in a patient from a more physical standpoint? So I think what helps, I think, build resiliency in anybody that I see has got a difficult situation, a hardship, a challenging time that's happening to them mm. is without doubt is giving them more knowledge, information and support. So I think those three key factors are without doubt the things that we want to be trying to do to help improve somebody become resilient to a situation. So giving somebody that information about knowing what they are facing, how long that's likely to last for and that they've got others around them and they've got other strategies that can help support them through this situation can increase their resilience to it. There's that saying, and I don't know who said it, but I quite like it. So if anybody out there wants to claim it, they can do. But there's this saying when it comes to pain that the hardest pain to endure is an unexplained one. So I think, you know, when we're dealing with somebody that's got an injury, a pain, putting that into context for somebody who doesn't understand it is the first step to help them to become able to deal with it and cope with it. Mm. So this is where, again, our advice and education, our communication skills are absolutely fundamental for helping somebody become resilient towards pain and disability. That's really interesting what you touch on, because I think, or what I'm seeing is young therapists understanding that pain is multifactorial, but they're tripping over their explanations because of that. And so what you just said about unexplained pain may have been easier 10 years ago to say that's coming from your winging scapula than, than what we understand now. I wish people could see your face when I said that. <laughs> so when pain is multifactorial and we're thinking about resilience, what are some explanations? How do you deal with that? Yeah, it's a great point. You know, many years ago, I can empathize with these uh, new students coming through because many years ago, I used to think pain was very simple and to treat it you had to use very complex exercises and treatments I now think it's the other way around I now actually think that pain is very complex but to help manage it and deal with it we've got to try and keep it as simple as possible so again I think just trying to keep our explanations clear and concise without using too much fancy language and jargon and terminology absolutely is fundamental there trying to be calm and compassionate when we're explaining things you know a mentor of mine louis gifford god rest his soul famously said it reassurance is a bloody good painkiller mm. so again just making sure that we are giving that information to a patient about their current situation in a calm reassuring and compassionate way that does accept the uncertainty of pain that we are not trying to be you know definitive in our times in our explanations about exactly what it is it's being tolerant of that it could be a bit of this it could be a bit of that but the good news is we know that these things have a favorable outcome these are the things that we need to be focusing on we don't need to worry too much about this or that okay these sort of terms and explanations i think are much more useful when trying to say get people to understand and become 
tolerant and resilient to their situation. I think as pain is becoming harder to explain for a young therapist, that reassurance, pink flags, all those things you just mentioned, often doing that well takes the want away from the patient to get down to the nitty gritty. Like, why is this hurting? I think if you do those things you just said well, can often divert the focus. Do you have any tips for that patient who keeps drilling? Like, they want to know, but where is this coming from? Yeah, I think one of the things I do with this is is explain to patients, again, quite openly and honestly, that, you know, a lot of the time we don't know. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's giving them that understanding that pain is weird and wonderful and trying to be specific as to an actual structural source a lot of the time is very challenging. But what we do know, and this is, again, using that positivity, is that there is nothing here that is causing us any concern or alarm or concern of anything serious or sinister. Mm. So we give them that sort of positivity, definitive, this is what we do know, it's not X, 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 and X. Yeah. But what we don't know is exactly the structural cause of the pain, but it doesn't really matter because we, again, it could be the tendon, it could be the bursa, it could be the muscle, it could be the ligament, it could be the synovium, it could be all of them, it could be any combination of them. But the good news is they all respond to the same type of methods of strategies of treatment that we're going to be doing. So we don't really need to worry too much about the specifics. So we're going to look at ways and means of just working on the problems rather than just the pathology. So I try to get people to say that we've ruled out what it isn't and dangerous, but we're going to try and focus on what the problems are that you've got. And let's try and address those. There's certainty in that, you know, the way you delivered that. And the way you can deliver that in a consult, that's certainty. And I think that comforts patients as well. Absolutely. I think one of the things that uncertainty isn't tolerated very well is when it's explained uncertainly. So if you can explain uncertainty with a little bit of certainty, I know it sounds a bit contradicting, but I think, you know, trying to be confident with the uncertainty is it allows individuals and patients to be able to tolerate it a lot more. Yeah. And with Reliance, I think this is getting into the details of things like manual therapy and rebooking. There's certain things we can do in a consult that by virtue of just doing them, you could be planting a seed of reliance. Rebooking is one of them. Manual therapy is one of them. I've always wanted to know, how do you go about your rebooking if you see someone with shoulder pain on a Monday? Do you have a bit of a pattern? Do you have a structure you stick to? Do you get a gauge of how they're picking up what you're putting down? How do you go about seeing someone again? Again, I used to have a set strategy for everybody I see, but I've changed over the years and I've realized individuals need an individual approach. Mm. So actually changing my approach now to giving people the support that they feel like they need, I think is, is essential. So again, going back to resiliency, I think you know a lot of the things that help improve somebody becoming resilient is focusing on the social and environmental factors around their current situation because you can be the hardest in the world and have all the internal resiliency. You can have all the knowledge and you can have the past experiences and you can be a tough old nut. But if you haven't got this social environmental setting around you to be using those strategies, you probably ain't going to tolerate a stressful situation very well for very long. 
So I do think, you know, you know, recognizing an individual's social and environmental constraints is hugely important to helping them become resilient to a problem. And there's some individuals out there that have pretty social environmental situations and they need support and guidance from likes of us healthcare professionals to help them become tolerant to a current situation that's going on so i like to ask patients you know put them in the driving seat to make the decisions around what amount of support and care they need mm. We are here to, again, offer as much or as little as they think they need. So the only way of us knowing what that is, is by asking them. So I ask them questions like, if I'm giving them some exercises to do, I'm watching them doing it in my environment, in my context, I'll say to them, are you going to be able to do these things without me around you? And if they say no, maybe a few other questions around that. Why not? What are the barriers? What are the limitations that are currently in your situation? Are there things there that we can help you with? How much support do you need from me in terms of this situation at the moment? And if somebody says, oh, I want to come back in tomorrow to do this again. OK, but ask another question. Why do you want to come back in so soon? What's the current situation? Why do you not feel able to do this independently on your own? So, again, it's, it's using these sort of strategies to find out the current situation for the individual. There are some people that I speak to, they're quite happy, you know, they watch me do it, they do it once, they go, right, I've got that, I can crack on, I'll come back in a few weeks when I feel like I need to. Others will like, absolutely need to come in and see you two or three times a week. So it needs an individual approach. I like some of those questions you ask. And I think the assumption when I ask that question could be that if you leave it up to the patient, they're just going to say two weeks or a month or only I'll call you when I need. But you laid down the reverse assumption there, which is a lot of times patients can say, no, I'm going to see you tomorrow. And we may need to nudge them the other way. And so your follow-up questions there are important too. Because we deal with human beings. Humans are individual and no two human beings are the same. Their situations are different. Their past experiences are different. So we have to manage them differently. Do you think in the current environment, with social media, what you're seeing, you're doing your courses, do you think we're heading the right way? I, I sometimes get a sense we are. I hear a lot of narratives. I follow a lot of people online and I hear this a lot. But then sometimes you feel like we're making patients more reliant. Yeah, it's very hard to say because we all live in our little echo chambers, Michael, as I'm sure you know. We've all got mm. those little social networks and circles where we tend to follow like-minded individuals. So we tend to see certain things. But yeah, I think, again, there are pockets of very good care where individuals are being well managed at a suitable level. But then there are also going to be undoubtedly areas, and I do see it again on some social media posts where people are being asked to come in, you know, way too much, being over-treated. They are being told some ridiculous things, and they're probably getting a little bit fear avoidant and reliant on certain treatments. And I still hear the odd patient or so coming in telling me some horrific stories of past experiences that happen. So it's like anything. There are pockets where I think it's improving and there's probably pockets of where it is regressing. The old hundred visitor patient that's come and seen you. <laughs> yeah, the old classic one. Yeah. Every three days, I've got to go and have my pelvis reset. I still hear a few of those coming in. Poor old Mrs. Miggins for the last 23 years has been seeing her, her guy 
who she's been buying Christmas presents for and has been exchanging, you know, birthday cards for the last 30 years. And that's very difficult to work around and challenge, I find, because this person has a strong relationship with this other person. And although I don't agree with it. What's your approach when you see that? Because that's probably the trickier one than a new client. They're coming to you with that baggage, which they may have a health professional they see once or twice a week. How do you approach that? Very carefully nowadays. Not like I used to do back in the old days when I was a little, yeah, when I was a little bit, bit more blunt and direct to the point, which I still can be. But I have made some errors there by you know going in and saying to the individual, "Oh, that's terrible. They shouldn't be doing that." And again, I've realised they've got a stronger relationship with that other person than they have with me yet, and so they don't trust or believe what I am saying, and they're not going to come back and see me. So I've made that mistake. So I tend to be a bit more tactful nowadays. So. Again, it's a case of just gradually easing in some education, I think, every now and again, not doing it all in one go and trying to get them to look at things slightly different than perhaps, you know, this other person has made them look at things. Yeah. Adam, I really appreciate your time and the distinctions you made at the start between robustness and resilience and some really good questions you asked the patient about when they think they need to come through why they think that. I think that's really going to help us reduce reliance. Is there anywhere you would like to direct people to read up more on this or a blog or where to follow you? Yeah, so I actually did write a blog on resilience about, I think, three or four years ago. It's called Resilience. It's on my website, the Sports Stop Physio, if you want to go and check it out. And then you can come and follow me on all of the social media platforms. I'm even on TikTok nowadays as well. Not that I use it that much, but I'm on all of them under Adam Meekin, so you can come and find me there. I'm going straight there. Thank you for your time, Adam. No worries, mate. Good talking.